Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn what visual information sharing is, why it's so important, and what happens when it's in place, also what happens when it's not in place. Hello, my name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. And thank you. Thank you for taking time in your busy day to tune in and listen. I think we have a great show for you today. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of how visuality allows us to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living dynamic landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems. How to embed your intelligence. How to install the details of your current operational system the current level of excellence in your enterprise, even if you're not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or as you know you will be. Whether you work in a factory, a hospital, office, open pit mine, military depot, it doesn't matter. If information is the glue in the workplace and it is the glue of every workplace, then visual workplace is a methodology, a strategy, an improvement technology that is well worth your study and hopefully your implementation. Why? Why? Because of the stunning bottom line results, improvement in safety, cost, quality, productivity, on-time delivery, and because of the splendid cultural benefits, the transformation, the alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels. And so we enjoy ourselves at work. We enjoy our work because it flows. It flows because the information is where and when we need it. As we need it, we pull it to us. And to which I say, oh, wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful and welcome. Welcome. So let's get on to this week's show. It might be a little bit of a surprise, but I do it without apology. This show is actually in response to several emails that I received from you, You sent them into radio at visualworkplace.com asking for something special today, something special before we get on to the next doorway. If you may, you may remember that I promised last time that we would do doorway number two visual standards. And I'm going to do that, but I'm going to first respond to this request. It will probably take a couple of shows. That's just the way it is. What we're going to talk about this time is in response to, I'll just give you a sample of one of the letters. This is from Marianne from Michigan. She said, we've been struggling for the past five years with 5S. It's been push, 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 not pull, pull, pull. So making 5S visual, we think, will help us. I-driven will help us. But how can I make sure I do it right, differently? What am I supposed to do? And something similar, uh, thank you very much, Marianne, <laughs> and something similar from George from Anderson, Indiana. He said, he said it this way. He said, what do I do differently to give this a chance? And I thought about it. There were several others on the same theme. And I thought the thing that, 
you need to know about if you are any part of management ready to lead a change through doorway number one, through operator-led visuality, you need to put an infrastructure in place. This infrastructure is critically important. Actually, companies tend to overlook infrastructure. The improvement infrastructure is a very good reason. It's, in, it's, pre, it's pretty invisible. It's invisible the way the I-beams are invisible in a building or the way you can't exactly see the plumbing. You can use the plumbing, but you can't see the plumbing. You don't see the electrical wiring. This is all part of the infrastructure. And you you know what? You have to put your infrastructure, your improvement infrastructure, in place before you launch, before you launch an improvement initiative. If there's no framework for success, then the success will be either pale or short-lived. Okay? So, we're going to talk about uh, the concrete steps, the powerful steps you can take to put an infrastructure in place. And this, by the way, is something that we do, my company does, I do, routinely before we launch. I'm going to share that outline with you, and hopefully there will be parts of it that will make sense to you immediately, and you'll take steps to put them into place. Yes, these are all written about in my books and our video programs and endless articles, and you can find lots and lots of that online at visualworkplace.com. There are lots of articles. Uh, look up infrastructure. I'm pretty sure my team has made them searchable. So look up improvement infrastructure or infrastructure, or you can look up seven startup requirements because that's what this will be. And this will help you. And again, uh, thank you, Marianne. Thank you, George. Thank you, Harry, who also uh, wrote to us. Thank you very much. And thank you, Vicki from Africa, my friend in Africa. Thank you very much. Let's let's do this, and then we'll pick up doorway number two, visual standards, um, as soon as we're done with this cycle. And you know, the, th- the fact is, doorway number one, operator-led visuality, represents a redistribution of power. And for many companies, this is a major departure from the paradigms of the past. Many companies don't really understand what a transformation it is until they're into it and it's a little bit too late. But when you do eye-driven operator-led visuality, it's a transformation process. And uh, in my experience, these elements are universally important for any improvement initiative, but they are mission critical for Doorway 1 because of this redistribution of power. So the infrastructure can be easily overlooked. As I say, it's invisible, but an infrastructure is interconnected elements that enable or support a larger structure. In our cities, in our towns, we see the roadway, sub-infrastructure, water supply, sewers, electrical grids I've mentioned already, the phone, internet, cable connections, all of these make the economy and make the community go. So, I think we'll need three shows for this. The process is fairly formulaic, but the tools are both technical and philosophical in nature, values-driven, principle-driven. Okay? So, I think we'll need three shows. 
And then we'll begin, uh, then we'll, we'll get on to doorway number two, production control boards and visual displays. Wonderful, wonderful helper for harried supervisors and busy, busy managers. I can't wait to share that, but we're going to have to do, go about this in an orderly way so it actually helps you. And by the way, as I'm talking, look for some action items. Some uh, people call them sometimes takeaways, things that you can do right now that are small enough for you to complete quickly, but important enough to make a difference. Action items, watch, watch for them as we move along. So, your improvement infrastructure. I'm going to tell you a little story. I'm, I'm going to take us on a, uh, a walkabout in a company called ABC Manufacturing, <laughs> whose real name will remain nameless. Anyway, think about this. This will kind of set up the infra- infrastructure discussion and help us understand the logic of it. So ABC Manufacturing was a company that made impressive strides in productivity and quality as a result of converting to lean. And the lead times were down by 35, 40%. Quality was competitive. The workforce was stable and hardworking and pretty aligned with, pretty excited about the changes. A year before my visit, the president had attended a 5S improvement blitz at a nearby plant organized by a well-known consulting group. You'd recognize its name. And the blitz promised to create a visual workplace in the host plant in five days. And to quote the president, she said she was excited by what she witnessed in the space of one week. And she decided to do the same thing in her company. And now it was 12 months later, and she asked me to come in for a kind of assessment, a diagnosis. So we did a walkabout together. And the week-long blitz had produced results in her facility, but the problem was they didn't last. And the problem was also they didn't spread. The blitz was... uh, pretty much ran the same way in that nearby company that I spoke of. Over the long term, the results, which were quite flashy to begin with, were disappointing, and there was very little of the promised bottom line impact. Housekeeping levels, kind of the hark back to 5S, were back to previous levels or worse. And as we walk the floor together, as we walk it now together, we let's in our mind's eye enter the main production floor and we see the remnants of last year's 5S campaign, the Blitz. We see four-foot banners hanging in practically every department, urging cleanliness and order and discipline. And we also see the frayed lines of tape and wonder about their purpose. They're really a mess right now. We see some shadow boards, some silhouette tool boards, and Well, some of the tools don't really exactly match the outline, but there's a hook to hang them on, so they're hanging on a hook. And there are many, many processes in the company. They're clearly labeled, and there's a handful of shelving units that are also uh, labeled. Ceiling signs in in the stamping cell mark incoming and outgoing areas, and one rack is color-coded with the press it supports. I see... Do I see three visual mini systems, one for hand tools and manual assembly. There's another one for international shipping, shipping and uh, packing, and one for gauges and quality. 
Yeah, that's good. And oh, there are two quick changeover cards. And uh, there are some 5S bulletin boards. There's uh, some SPC control charts. Of course, uh, some of them are three to six months out of date. But And there are a lot of uh, management memos on factory goals and objectives. Cleanliness levels, as I say, are okay, but uneven. I skid across one of the floors that looked shiny, but instead was slippery. And while there's an evidence towards order, I see lots of unmarked piles of whip and raw material and overdue deliveries sit scattered throughout the plant. I stop to chat with operators and supervisors along the way. And few people have anything to say when asked for the results that they've experienced. Most shrug. Uh, and once a supervisor loudly declares, well, as far as he's concerned, 5S has become a step backwards. So what went wrong? Well, three hours later, the president and her direct reports are waiting in the boardroom, and they ask me the crucial question, why isn't 5S working out in our company? And I tell them, relevant to today's discussion, your instincts are right your company needs a comprehensive implementation of the visual wear, visual order. But I saw pretty much the opposite on your floor. That is, I saw a number of serviceable, okay visual devices and a few mini systems, some standalone attempts. And I saw a workforce that wants to improve. They're good, good people, hardworking and spirited. But they have no time to do it in, and managers are interested in the notion of a visual workplace, but they're unclear about what that means or how to get there. In short, I saw uh, an effort that was without momentum. I saw no roots. I saw no direction because there is no vision that I could find, and the leadership to this approach, well, it does not seem to be systematic, at least not at this point. You've got some problems here. You have strengths in your favor, not the least of which is the energy and goodwill of your associates. And you know what? You can turn this around. But if you continue as you currently are, you're, it's very unlikely you'll achieve the visual wear, 5S, and I don't think that you'll go visual It's not exactly a waste of time, but it could be much stronger. And of course, the room wanted to know after long silence, what do we do? What needs to change? And I talked to them about the infrastructure, the way I'm going to be talking to you about it. The seven startup requirements. The field of manufacturing improvement is strewn with broken dreams and progress that might have been but never was. All too many companies behave as though just thinking about a change for the better better will make it happen, will make it so. But it's not true. For improvement to happen, certain conditions or requirements have to be met or put into place at the outset. If they're not, the effort fails. But we seldom realize why. We instead blame the change methodologies or the, or, or the resistance of people in our hope for a quick and easy solution to workplace challenges, we mistakenly think that improvement success is simply the result of good ideas, diligently implemented, 
But success, long-term and long-lasting, requires more than that. Just the way buildings require infrastructures to function safely and well. So your visual conversion requires an internal structure. Behind the scenes, a framework that management puts into place before the first associate is trained or the first brilliant idea, the company's improvement infrastructure, the company's insurance that steady progress will continue to be made, learning applied, and hard-won gains sustained. Okay? So this framework of interconnected elements that support a larger framework has to do with a know-how part of the equation. The knowledge is the content. The know-how is how to put the content in place so it stays and it grows. We begin when we talk about infrastructure by getting very clear on what we call the three outcomes. I'm going to go through the list of seven startup requirements, but this is pre-before that. Before we talk about the seven startup requirements, we want to make sure that We've defined success in words. And so here are the three startup requirements for a visual conversion. And this is powerfully important for operator-led visuality. And it is part of the way that we make sure that operators, that we make sure that operators know this on the front side. Of course, management needs to sign off on it. But we say, look, here's the three things we want to have happen. Outcome one, the first thing we want as a result of implementing visuality in your area is a visual showcase. We want a work area where you have drilled deep into the operational details, into your operational performance, and made it visual. One foot square, one mile deep. We want to be able to see in action the definition of a visual workplace, a self-ordering, self-explaining, self-regulating, and self-improving work environment where what is supposed to happen does happen on time, every time, day or night because of visual devices. That's what we're going to look for as our first outcome. For you to work, work strongly, work well, and create a well-developed visual work environment that looks like and functions like that definition. Mm-hmm. And when we visit such a showcase, when your um, fellow employees, your colleagues come over and they see the showcase in your area, then we understand why visuality is important. We see it, we understand it, we say, we want one like that. when people see a visual showcase, they get inspired and they want their own areas to look like and run like that showcase across the entire enterprise. And people actually say, I've heard them say this, I want one like that. I want one like like that. It's like looking at a shiny new car and say, I want that. (laughs) So the first outcome, we're very clear on it, is a visual showcase. Now later on, Maybe not today, but maybe next week. We'll talk about the training materials. You have to be able to capture this in your training materials so people can see it. And they can say, yeah, I get it. I can see myself in that. In fact, I'm going to make it so. So the first outcome is achieve a visual showcase. The second outcome is achieve trackable bottom line results. 
as each area makes its way to the showcase level, it's important to be able to see visuality's positive impact on the bottom line. Management usually takes the lead in making this happen since tangible proof of return on investment is one of their main measures. Okay, that makes sense. But at the same time, operators can do this as well. In due course, the benefits of visuality will positively impact their key performance measures, quality, delivery, cost, safety, these KPIs. And as the visual rollout gains momentum, they will improve. Hmm? So here's what we do at the beginning as part of getting ready to launch. First, we're clear on what the outcome is. It is a visual showcase, self-explaining, self-regulating, self-improving. And then we want to see the bottom line benefits. And what you do at the beginning of your implementation is you collect the metrics that are current before the day of launch. And you simply collect them. You can do this week by week. We like to put it into a book, into a little binder. In fact, a binder. Not in the computer, but pages in a binder. And we see the performance go by week by week, week by week. And we look as we implement for the drift. We look for the drift, the positive drift in these KPIs, the positive drift within, you can start seeing it within six to nine weeks, sometimes sooner of the launch. A steady increase over time, thanks to the visual devices and visual practices, the visual methodology that we're putting into place. The attack on information deficits is that flow. Flow takes hold and with it clarity and improve performance. In five or six months, you'll see results as good as perhaps these. This is what this came from a, a couple of uh, clients: fifteen to thirty percent increase in productivity, seventy percent reduction in waiting time, seventy percent reduction in material handling, handling sixty percent reduction in floor space requirements. That's quite usual. Ninety-six percent improvement in quality. That was already at ninety-eight percent. reduction in storage requirements. Or these figures, $2.5 million scrap reduction. That's annualized. 7,100 hours of machine downtime eliminated. 54% reduction in walking. 100% elimination of rework. That came from one single company led by the great, the incomparable Annie Yu in the Boston area. So the second outcome that we say to management embrace it is bottom line results. The third outcome, and we share these three outcomes with our operators, we say what we want to do is adopt an attitude of learning. We want to stay open to the possibility that we're not just going to learn about the methodology, but we're going to learn about ourselves and we're going to learn about other people. And we wanted, we make, we're making that one of the three main outcomes that we are going to stay open because a visual workplace actually targets the conversion of our mind, our heart, and our beliefs as we convert the work area to visuality. 
we didn't know. I didn't know this 30 years ago that there, that visuality was going to bring this to the fore. But it became very clear within 10 years that people's hearts and minds were changing, that their confidence and their knowledge, their belief in themselves and in others was beginning to smooth out. Continuous improvement had become Continual, continuous visual improvement, I should say, became an opportunity to streamline the physical workplace and to help us grow as individuals. We changed the process and the process changed us. And we learned. We learned what worked and what didn't work, what we liked and what we didn't like, what we got right and what we got wrong. We stayed open. We learned the difference between demands and preferences. Hmm? This third outcome is to adopt an attitude of learning, and you state it right up front. You know it. You embrace it. If you've got a better one, then put it in this place. But this is about a cultural change. It's about a business benefit change, and it's about a physical change in the workplace that you can see, and you can see it function. It is inspiring. For outcome number three, we may even get so interested in mistakes, including our own, that instead of hiding them or blaming them on others, we study them and become scientists of our own work. That really is a destination. We come to realize that mistakes are what make the journey. Okay? So when you adopt this attitude of of, of learning, this openness, it makes a huge difference. And when you state it in front of your employees then it is your outcome as well. I'm talking to the managers and the trainers who are amongst us. You know, the Buddha, Gautama, the Buddha said this about a thousand or two thousand years ago when he was asked how to navigate life's tricky parts. He said this, he said, this is what you do. Show up, tell the truth, and stay open. Show up, tell the truth, and stay open. And that, for me, is the Buddha's way of saying adopt an attitude of learning. And by the way, we use that example also. Okay, we want people to know that this is important. All three of those, achieve a visual showcase, outcome number one, outcome two, achieve trackable results, and outcome three, adopt an attitude of learning, stay open. So, with those three outcomes firmly in mind, Now we're ready to begin to put the infrastructure in place. And there are five, I'm sorry, there are seven main tools. The first is a vision place. Second is systematic methodology. Third is excellent transfer or training materials. Fourth is on-site leadership. Fifth is an improvement time policy. The sixth is focus which we do in two ways through what's called the laminated map, and I'll walk through that with you, and a hit list, a way to stay focused and drive. And the seventh, which I don't believe is really optional, is some form of, in Mexico we say rafagas, or blitz, or regular improvement event where people will work together as a team. But I want to say very, very quickly The improvement time policy that we talk about is about liberating time, taking it from production. There are a few exceptions to this. Taking it from production and dedicating it to improvement. Part of that time can be used in a blitz, 
but another part of that time is for individual eye-driven improvement. Me working on my bright idea. Oh, my God. can't believe what I thought about. I'm going to do it. This is so cool. And I work on that. Me. Maybe with a buddy. Okay? So let's begin to walk through those seven. I'm going to read them again so you get a sense of their roundness. A vision place. Hmm? Systematic methodology. Excellent training materials. Vivid and explicit. On-site leadership. Improvement time policy. The laminated map and the hit list for focus and the blitz to drive. So let's start going through them. Beginning with the vision place. This is something we ask management to do, but it is identical to what we ask operators to do as well. We share with them the three outcomes and we say, and there are four four requirements for operators. And one of them is to choose a vision place. Name a place where you've actually been, where what was supposed to happen did happen because of visual devices. Maybe it's a nearby factory. Maybe it's a hospital. Maybe it's an accounting office. Maybe it's the post office. But it's a place where high levels of visuality made you think about your own workplace and saying, I wish my place looked like that and functioned like that. We call that, I call that a vision place. Its purpose is to inspire us on the outside until there's a vision place on the inside, inside our company, until there is the thing I talked about as the first outcome, achieve a visual showcase. Until that exists inside your company, where are you going to go for inspiration and to be informed and to be reminded? If there's no hospital or factory nearby, and those are an advanced factory and most hospitals nowadays are pretty visual, certainly in terms of the, the patient hospital interface. If not, you find a community location that is highly visual. This is an exercise. This is something you do and, you know, take pictures of it. County library, Friendly's ice cream parlor with its splendid array of visual devices behind the counters. Same thing with McDonald's. Even the drive-thru is visually inspiring. Home Depot Depot is getting much, much better in Lowe's. They're beginning to uh, compete. You know, they have absolutely no staff on the floor, so you're on your own. That place, those shelves, better speak to me. The end caps, wonderfully uh, formed visual end caps that tell you this is row 11 and this is plumbing supplies, da-da-da-da-da-da. And if what you're looking for isn't down that road, don't bother to go down it because it's not going to suddenly appear. Or it could be Disneyland. I like the one in Orlando. Disney World, I think that one's called. Disney World. There are only three requirements for choosing a vision place. One is that it's highly visual. Second, that you've actually been there physically in person, not just heard about it or seen it on a video, so you have the experience under your skin. And third, that it's within easy walking or driving distance. 10 or 15 miles, so you can visit it often to remind yourself what visuality looks like and feels like until a vision place, until a showcase exists in your own company, your own site. Can you see why that's important? We take a moment and we say, okay, make a list of possibilities, turn to a buddy and see if, see what your buddy has, share it with your buddy, and then come up with one that you like. Not that you like together, but that you like. Just have somebody to talk to. Your vision place. 
Vision comes first, then transformation. And even though you may have never experienced a comprehensive visual workplace before firsthand, the places you visited, these showcases, these vision places, have done it remarkably well. So before you begin the visual journey, choose a location that can serve as your touchstone. Can you see how important that is? You know, it's not imaginary, it's real, and you go visit it. You go visit it on those hard days when you say, why am I doing this? Ah, now I remember, yes, indeed. So that's your first startup requirement, that you have that firmly in hand, and yes, it can be a company. There aren't that many, but there are some, and you may have been there. Your operators have to find that place as well. Second startup requirement, a systematic methodology. Vision without an implementation roadmap is only a hope. Hope is not a strategy. (laughs) So select a robust and orderly improvement methodology with a proven track record that can trigger bottom line results and also launch workplace visuality and then follow it carefully. And our guideline is you find yourself a good methodology, you follow it through three cycles before you change or remove anything. And that way you learn to understand and value the method as given. And when you adapt it, you do it knowingly only after you've clarified perhaps some local differences that need adjustments. There are many protocols for many changes in the workplace. Our particular method, the one we use for Doorway 1, is work that makes sense, which I've, I've told you about quite a bit. Structured and principle-driven, systematic and sustainable, with hundreds upon hundreds of visual solutions to learn from. But maybe there are other methodologies. I haven't stumbled upon them. I, I, I you know, I kind of look, but not too deeply. I just, if something happens, I follow it. There's a lot, a lot of discussion nowadays about visual management, and I see a confusion where people think that visual management is a visual workplace. It isn't. It is just one aspect, about 10% of a visual workplace, 10 or 12%, depending on how generous you might be feeling on a particular day, 10 or 12% of the functionality that you can expect and that you need from a visual workplace. We'll do a whole show on visual management and on Nest that. It's important. It's an important monitoring device. On its higher level, visual management is an important problem-solving um, framework it can, I have seen it used in that way, but it isn't the same as visual performance. It isn't the same as actually embedding the operation, operational details of work into the living landscape of work and letting the workplace speak to you so you perform impeccably just the way you want to. So systematic methodology is very, very important. Stay away from the idea that visual devices are simply ideas, that we can brainstorm solutions. They're not. Visual devices are the result of the application of technology. As I told you in the first few shows, we use motion as a lever, motion moving without working as a lever. We become scientists of motion. 
This is also for supervisors and CEOs. They become scientists of the forms of motion that are that populate their day. We become scientists of motion. We use motion as a, lev- a lever to dig deeply into is this visual device powerful enough to get me to adhere, to share information precisely and quickly and clearly, completely, when and as I need it? Or do I need something more powerful? We talked about motion a lot. I believe that was show two when we were talking about the building blocks. If you remember, I talked about Paulette. I might have spent two or three shows on that. This is quite recently. I think we're on show, are we show 11? We're on show 11 now. We're getting started. Not quite finding our stride, but we certainly are getting started. So these excellent, so this methodology is very important. Hand hand in hand with it as startup requirement three is excellent transfer materials. Transfer materials is just a fancy way of saying training materials. How will you transfer visual principles and practices, concepts and tools? How will you transfer this knowledge to others? How will you share knowledge and know-how and excitement? How will you inform and inspire others? So you need a robust materials package to do so. For visuality, that package needs to include excellent proven contact, con- I beg your pardon, content that teaches the systematic methodology we referred to a moment ago. And as importantly, the materials need to include scores, if not hundreds, of full-color, splendid visual solutions and explanations of how they work and why they work, not just from your industry, but from many industries. How many hospitals don't want to look at manufacturing examples, but how much benefit is there, a great deal, in studying examples from other industries and then finding corollaries or application in your own industry? Oh, wonderful, wonderful wonderful minds that can see that and that want to see it and that jump in and they say to a device, teach me, what is your secret? How do you work? And how can I take these, this profile and use it for my industry? So these outstanding instructional materials are indispensable to learning and implementing visuality and producing sustainable visual solutions and an inventive transformation, one that is juicy, one that people love to engage, one that as they begin to discover their own motion and their own visual devices, the devices reveal more and more, sharing information about their own performance, about the workplace, about what's going well and what's not going well and where the gaps in understanding are, the gaps in pace where momentum is carrying us instead of intentional design. Mm. These excellent training materials. These are, you know, these 
you're probably going to have a platform of PowerPoint, but the PowerPoint is alive with learning, alive with learning. One of the things we often do is we will uh, put a, a photograph of and say, figure out how it works. Giving just a minimal of guidance and letting people's un- people unnested in their minds. How does this work? What does this do? Why is this effective? What are the components of the visual landscape? Remember, 50% of our brain function is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual data. This is a very active part of our natural intelligence. Why not harness it in the workplace and why not trigger it through amazing training materials? We like ours, of course. We like our online systems. We like our books. These are art forms as far as I'm concerned. They are the the artistry of showing the beauty of the visual workplace. Yeah. So that's the third requirement, the third startup requirement. The first one was a vision place. The second one was systematic methodology. Don't take it for granted. Select it. And the third is excellent transfer materials. These materials will not only change the physical workplace, but they will change the people who are in the visual workplace using it. And there's some, someone else that this changes. Excellent training materials will change the trainers, will help the trainers develop, develop skill, develop knowledge, develop know-how, And they themselves will feel the liberation of liberating others by liberating information. This is, if you are privileged to be asked to train wonderful methodologies, part of the wonder is that they change you too. You teach it, you learn it, you become it, and you take it further. We love training trainers. We love to see the change, but we love it more when they begin to train others and the change becomes a part of their act of of contributing. Okay, let's go on. Outcome number four. This one will take us a while. It's called on-site leadership. The subset to that is the three-legged stool. The three-legged stool is just a, a construct which I will draw uh, with uh, on, on Visual Workplace Radio, draw with my words for you to see. But on-site leadership is a specific outcome, and it is not taken casually. While your trainers are very, very important as leaders of improvement and as coaches, there's also an infrastructure of leadership that supports them. It's called the three-legged stool. Company conversions don't happen overnight, nor the gains if they are to be sustainable. So your company needs to designate a small team of high-functionally, I beg your pardon, (laughs) high-functioning and emotionally sturdy individuals to lead and support the visual transformation. Or any transformation. Can be in lean, can be Six Sigma, can be visual. These individuals 
work mostly behind the scenes, and their job is to plan, to design, to support, to troubleshoot, to assess the rollout, to prepare for launch, to check in very, very frequently, to see how things are going as part of their daily work. This is a valued group of employees willing and able to be held accountable for the progress of the transformation, the progress that is cultural and bottom line. So I call this team of people the three-legged stool, three separate entities that work together to support the areas that you've targeted for visual conversion. Think of those targeted areas where the conversion is happening as the seat of the stool, And then the three legs, which I'll name in a moment, as that which supports the seat of the stool or the targeted areas. The first, and we'll take this all the way over in your mind's eye to the right, so we're starting on the right, is the visual workplace champion. This is the man or the woman who sponsors the initiative and who advocates for it and protects it and provides the resources. It's a line item in his or her budget. She is the champion. And while we don't ask a great deal of this person all the time because it's usually a busy uh, executive, when we need them, they show up. When we need them for protection, when we need the resources, when we need the advocacy, they show up. That's their job. They're the protector of the flame. First leg of the stool, moving from the right. Now we go to the middle, and it's the visual workplace coordinator. You can change these terms to suit you if these terms are already taken or they mean something else. Then find a term that has some heft. This is really the project manager. The coordinator is the project manager. He or she is in charge of the logistics, the administrative detail that supports the implementation. She's responsible for coordinating activities between departments, such as maintenance and quality and technical support. He's responsible for collecting and graphing improvement time usage, which we haven't talked about yet, and also serving as an advocate and a steward. This is a large job. And you need to designate a valuable member of your team not somebody that you're trying to keep busy. I remember once uh, the coordinator, I met the coordinator and the coordinator couldn't speak English. And I asked the the champion, I said, Paul, help me out here. Uh, uh, Sue doesn't speak English. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge to kind of work with her and help her and whatever. And and Paul said to me, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with her. You know, she's really technically outstanding, but she doesn't speak English. And so we had to have a little conversation about that. It needs, to, this person needs to be a valued member of your team, someone you give up reluctantly, because you need some a coordinator, project manager, who's going to be able to handle the implementation It goes like this. If the implementation succeeds, the champion gets all the credit. If the implementation fails, the coordinator gets the blame. I mean, that's the way it is. So you want somebody who can make you look good. 
So you choose somebody strong, and you will look very, very good when this happens. I suppose that's not the right way to talk to you. I'm probably going to get slammed for being politically incorrect in even my imagination about such things. Anyway, the coordinator's job is a large one, and he or she usually designates, we urge them to designate two to four people who lend a hand. We call this the lead team. The lead team is a kind of insert, a support that goes on that middle leg. And that that lead team is very important because this group of people handpicked by the coordinator are the sounding board, is the sounding board and is the kind of advisory council, but they're also active. They're there to help. The coordinator is usually 30% time in a a, a kind of um, paced implementation, but it can be half-time, full-time. And the lead team members are 10% at the most. But they help. They're there. They're a steady, stabilizing group. They're where I go to if I'm the coordinator for emotional support, for clarity, for ideas, for options. But also if I'm looking for somebody to go to the store before 3 o'clock and bring me back whatever it is that I need for the implementation or whatever it is that I know the trainers need. So the coordinator is the second leg with the lead team. And there's all kinds of ways to work this. Perhaps we'll get into this detail Um I think I'll I'll save the detail for starting up the next time since I only have about five minutes left. Let's move on to leg three of this three-legged stool. Leg three is the steering team. And it's usually formed about seven or eight months, maybe three months, depending on the company, after the launch. And it's made up of hourly employees, volunteers. This doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, it's so powerful. The exact names of the steering team members depend on who volunteers and when formed. The team's mandate is quite simple. Stay in touch with how the implementation is going in the areas, in each area and collectively. Look for ways to strengthen it and bring your recommendations to the champion or the coordinator. The steering team has no authority. They are not the police. It's very important that they be seen as no authority, not part of management. But they're there to keep their thumb on the pulse. And people volunteer. They're not recruited. We'll spend a couple of shows. I'll walk you through the the technology of setting up your steering team because some of you, it will appeal to you. It is a tremendous addition to your implementation, especially now we're talking about doorway number one, operator level when the operators uh, are given uh, a visible role. Um, I I am uh, restraining myself. I'll pick this up the next time to give you a little bit more of a flavor. There's a fourth leg to the stool. This three-legged stool becomes a four-legged stool when you do your own training, which is the direction that we've been going in for the last I'd say 10 or 12 years where we're making our materials available online so that you can learn to train yourself. We do training of trainers. The fourth leg of the stool is your trainer. And the trainers are very important. You can see how these four entities work together. Yeah, you may have some hesitation about the visual workplace steering team, about how do you get operators involved. 
I understand your hesitation, but the technology is known and it works really well. But the other three, I, I hope, make sense to you just right off the bat. Champion, coordinator, trainers. Seat of the stool is your targeted areas. So we've done a pretty good job in beginning the discussion, getting a little further than I expected today, on setting up your infrastructure. But this is what we're talking about. The three outcomes, be clear about them. Seven startup requirements behind the scenes, be clear about them. And we have, we have I think, four of them. Did we do four of them? We, have imp- we did five of them. So we're on the three-legged stool on the improvement infrastructure on the on-site leadership. Join us next week. When we talk some more about this, we may be able to do this in two shows. I need to do improvement time policy, laminated map. That, those are kind of lengthy topics, very, very interesting, very rich. I think that you can get some action items out of these, some little shifts you can make or some big changes you can make. I really enjoy sharing this with you. I hope you have found it useful, and I hope that you come back next week and that you build your knowledge and your know-how about workplace visuality. It is always my pleasure to share what I've learned for these many, many decades of working in the field and many, many years of really uh, um, being so completely inspired by what visuality can bring to operations, to operational excellence, and to the people who want it. Um Thank you. Yeah, I think that's it for the night. Uh, thank you very much. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Oh, this is happen- This is being aired in the morning, so th- that's it for the day. <laughs> that's it for now. <laughs> this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. See you the next time. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.